0: Hello, lamppost. Hello, tree. Hello, people smiling at me. I'm at home and it's a treat. Walking down my street.
1: You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. This week we have Kevin Klinkenberg on the show. He's an architect, an urban designer, and a blogger. His site, KevinKlinkenberg.com, says that he uses urban design to make our lives more enjoyable and to create wealth in our communities. His new book is called Why I Walk Taking a Step in the Right Direction. Kevin is a friend of mine, a fellow CNUer, and someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. So, Kevin, Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you very much.
1: It's kind of fun because this is the first now set of brothers that I've had on the podcast. <laughs> you uh, you got me set up with Dean, uh, your brother, a while back, and him and I recorded a podcast about his book on the Mississippi River, and people really enjoyed that. I mean, it was a, he's a good storyteller.
0: He is. He really is. I've learned so much from him. He's my big brother, and as a great writer and great storyteller, I know he's got a lot more in the works, too.
1: Well, let's talk about why you walk. When I saw the book title and the cover, I assumed you walk because you don't have the money to afford a car. Uh, that's the reason anybody walks, right? So, <laughs> Well,
0: it goes a little deeper than that, um, <laughs> as you might imagine. This is funny. It's the kind of a book that I've had in my head for several years and finally sat down to write it about a year and a half ago. And... You know, I feel like we spend so much time in our profession kind of talking to each other. Sure. And w- we write a lot of books, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody, write a lot of blog posts that really speak to each other as professionals. And I still feel like there's so much work to be done in just talking to average people about living in a walkable place, about the benefits of doing it, you know, in this country, we're so accustomed to the fact that you kind of grow up in a suburban environment, you grow up with driving, and we just kind of all assume, unless we're exposed to something else, that that's just the way it is. The idea that somebody would willfully choose to live in a walkable place, for a lot of Americans, frankly, is just kind of a foreign concept. Right. And I wanted to sit down and write more of a personal tale that will talk about how I see the benefits and hopefully something that would be accessible to a much broader uh, population than just planning nerds and, and geeks like us.
1: I really felt that was one of the strongest parts of the book was the fact that you made this a very personal story. This is why I walk. This is what I do. This is what it means to me. Let's go through a few of those things. You've got a whole chapter on the financial reasons for walking, and I alluded to not being able to afford a car, but you actually flip it around and say, you know, I could afford a car, but man, I save a lot of money by not being forced to uh, pump it into an automobile.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the funny thing is we often think of some of the obvious ways that you can save money by not driving very much or driving a lot less. You know, there's some of the things like you spend less money in gas and and on fixing up your car. But we don't often think of sort of the accumulative benefits, the financial benefits of doing so. We understand the sort of power of compound interest when it comes to our own investments. You know, if you invest in the stock market or invest in whatever, and over time, those investments really start to accumulate in impressive ways. Well, the same things happen when we save money on something like transportation. I might save you know, a few thousand bucks a year this year because I choose to drive less. But the reality is over time that becomes exponential because then if I own a car like I do now, I don't have to replace it very often. I don't have to spend as much money on maintenance. And those things year over year over year really add up. And what it exposes by doing it this way is just how much money the average person really spends on a daily basis on transportation. And how much we just assume that's the way it's going to be. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can actually save tremendous amounts of money by choosing to drive a lot less and use that money in whatever way, you know, enriches our own
1: life. You are someone who likes to travel. I love traveling. It's interesting to me when you kind of laid out, you know, here's where I spend this extra money. I mean, I save some and I I do some other things and I, occasionally like to enjoy some nice food, but I also like to travel. And boy, I've been able to see some fantastic places in my life because, you know, I've been able to put that money to better use. In America, we have a certain standard of living is what it's called. But you've traveled enough places and seen the difference between a standard of living and a quality of life. It seems like walking is a big part of your quality of life. Would you agree with that?
0: It's a huge part of it. Too often, we just don't talk about, you know, the sense of pleasure that derives from different kinds of lifestyles. And I, I didn't want to spend much time in the book denigrating, you know, other people's choices. We all have our own yeah, uh, choices to you, make in our you lives. You actually and, don't and, do. And there's a hundred factors that go into that. Yeah, yeah. But I do want to talk about, you know, when you live in a place where you can walk all the time, and not just can walk, but where walking is pleasurable, where it's beautiful. Where it's a daily experience that's interesting, it's remarkable how much that just improves your own personal quality of life. In my opinion, some of those spinoff benefits are yes, you know I can save so much money in that. I can enhance that by traveling to other places where, you know, I explore on foot and everything else. I'm a guy who's never really made you know a lot of money in my life, but I have been able by being frugal in some of these ways to really enhance my life in other ways that I wouldn't have been able to if I'd thrown it all uh, at cars.
1: One of the really provocative lines you have in the book, I say provocative because we talk a lot about resiliency, not only on this show, but in a lot of places in society today with just the volatility we've been experiencing lately. You have this line that says, I'm unconcerned with gas prices. (laughs) that's a different position than most Americans are in right now.
0: It's very true. Well, you know, when you live a lifestyle where you drive everywhere and you drive 12, 15, 20,000 miles a year, the price of gas is something that really is, you know, at the forefront of your kind of day-to-day existence. And you're often thinking about, well, this gas station is three cents cheaper, that one's five cents cheaper or whatever. In my experience, it just doesn't even come up. It's not even something that I think about because I drive so little anyway that if the price fluctuates a few cents, if one gas station is more than another, if it rises 50 cents or a buck, you know, for my daily life, I just don't even really care. I mean, I hate to be so sure. sort of extreme about it. You know, I know it affects a lot of people in their lives, For but when you walk and bike a lot, it's just not even really something you think about.
1: The automobile is this sign of freedom in this country. It's it's long been, and I, I guess we're going on three generations at least now, where the automobile has been seen as the symbol of independence, the symbol of American freedom, the ability to go wherever you want, whenever you want. You turn that on its head a little bit and say, I feel like I have more freedom because I walk the places that I go. Can you go into that a little bit? No doubt. I mean, when
0: I think about freedom, you know what really, how do we look at freedom in any aspect of life? And freedom really is about having choices. It's having choices and the the ability to make choices without something being forced upon you. And the way I think about that when I think about lifestyle in terms of transportation, if you live somewhere in a subdivision, for example, where you have to drive, for everything because of how the city was designed because of how the subdivision was designed the reality is your freedom is extremely limited if you live somewhere where you can safely and enjoyably walk and ride a bike you have far more choices available to you which equates to more freedom it's more freedom of movement for whatever it is that you need to do and i think the most common ways that we all experience that Are if you live in a place, for example, a a place where you do have to drive a lot, if your car breaks down, if it's in the shop, you know, for a little while, then all of a sudden you really begin to feel, oh, my God, you know, my freedom of movement is very limited. I can't go anywhere until my car is fixed. However, if you live somewhere where you have options, you begin to realize that that's just one more way to get around and I have other ways at my disposal to move about. And the problem that we have is we just have far, far too many communities and neighborhoods that we've designed where people really don't have freedom of movement. I relate that to my own experience in the book and how it, how it has impacted me over time. And to me, it's just, I feel a much more tremendous sense of freedom when I live somewhere where I can safely walk and and bike.
1: Yeah, I guess it's a difference between, you know, having the option to drive versus having to drive. You live in Georgia and Georgia last winter had these kind of infamous snow days. We heard stories here in Minnesota that kind of made us chuckle, but that people spending, you know, four or five hours stuck in their car, not moving and having to spend the night in their car. This seemed crazy to us. Yet this was part of the reality of parts of Georgia. How did this affect you?
0: Well, it didn't affect me at all. Down here in Savannah, we're warm enough that we didn't get the snow and the ice that Atlanta got. But interestingly enough, all the schools and everything did close down here for a couple of days on the fear that something just,
1: oh, I was going to say, was it just like sympathy closing or solidarity? <laughs>
0: yeah, a little, bit, little <laughs> bit of that. I mean, there's no doubt that what happened in Atlanta really affected a lot of people in the state and a lot of the thinking It's even had an impact on the politics of not just Atlanta politics but statewide politics because it's one of those things that exposes the weak links in the transportation system and the lifestyle choices that people have made over many, many years. When that happened, and, and it will certainly, some version of it will happen again, we'll get ice and snow again. But when it happened, it really, I think, started even more people asking questions of why is this even happening? This is absurd that people would be in such dire straits that they would be stuck essentially on the interstate as a parking lot. But that's what happens when you design a system that has very few choices. Where people really have to drive and then you take it a step further and there's only a handful of roads or highways that actually connect and go through over a long distance.
1: Right, right. That was eye opening, I think, for a lot of people. You know, I have now four or five days where I really can't go out and drive yet I need food and I have no way to get food except to get in my car and go drive, which I really don't feel safe doing. It kind of changes your whole perspective. You, talk in the book about being healthy. Hmm. And it's one of those things that people bring up a lot. And, you know, we hear the story of the people who drive to the gym to, you know, go on the treadmill and kind of, you know, shake your head a little bit. I want to tell you just a real brief story about one of my experiences. This was back in 2000. I went to Italy for a six week professional exchange program. Hmm. And when I got to Italy, I ate like a king. I mean, I, I love Italian pizza. I had a pizza every single day. They don't give you, you know, just a couple slices, you get a whole big pizza to yourself. We would go out to these meals that our hosts would bring us to where they'd have like seven courses. And you were so, it was like Thanksgiving dinner every single day with a pizza for your other meal, right? Right, right. I was there six weeks. I lost 20 pounds. And I lost 20 pounds because we never got in a car. I mean, we walked every single place that we went. Tell your story a little bit about how this has impacted you from a health standpoint and how walking has become an important part of how you stay healthy.
0: Well, you know, I had a similar experience, Chuck, in that the first time I really began to ever think about this in a serious way was back in the summer of 93, When I was still a college student, I spent a summer abroad in Paris and, you know, obviously we walked everywhere and we also ate, you know, we are on a student budget, but we still ate very, very well and ate a lot of food and were constantly experimenting with street food and everything else. I actually lost weight that summer, even while we were doing that. And I came home within two months or so of being home and living sort of the typical lifestyle I'd been used to, i put on 20 pounds. I began to look at this and wonder, you know, wow, what's what's really going on here. Ever since then, now I, I really just kinda chuckle whenever I read whatever the latest, you know, go to fix is for the American diet and for the obesity problem. The main difference between us and the rest of the world is simple and that's the fact that we just don't use our bodies on a daily basis for normal activities. Most of the rest of the world walks at least twice as much as we do. And I'll tell you from eating a lot of different cuisines all over the world, there's a lot of really unhealthy cuisines <laughs> out there. <laughs> you know, the, the French cuisine is pretty fatty. As you know, the Italian cuisine is not exactly low carb. Right. So we have issues with our cuisine and our diet as well. But the big difference why we have struggle with obesity more than anybody else is because we just don't get out and use our bodies for normal daily activities. The big thing everybody's promoting now are sort of the 10,000 steps for walking as as a benchmark for us to use. But I just like to say if you could just get out every day and just walk a mile or two, if nothing else, which really isn't very far. It seems like a lot if you're not used to it, but it's amazing how quickly that goes by. It can have remarkable benefits to just your overall feeling of, of health.
1: I grew up on a farm, and, and when we moved to the farm, the older gentleman that we bought the place from, they moved into town and lived in a, a retirement home. But it was one that was close enough where you could actually walk places. And, and this was a guy who every day would go walk around town. We would meet him for lunch, and the guy, I'm not joking you, would put a centimeter of sugar on his hamburgers and I mean, just ate the fattiest most unhealthy diet that you could possibly imagine. And he was as skinny as a rail. And it really was not, you know, his genetics, because he had a son who was very Americanized, who did not have that physique. But it was literally because he was a really, really active person, not only on the farm, but even when he moved off. I've heard people say, you know, there are very few fat people in New York. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, that's
1: true. And, and when you go there, you can kind of witness that too. I mean, the obesity problem is not as severe in places that are really, really walkable.
0: We really make the whole discussion much more complex than it needs to be. There are some people who are genetically predisposed and who are going to have challenges their whole life, no matter what. But that's really not a big percentage of the population. For the average person, it's really just about using your body on a regular basis in some way. And I recommend walking for a lot of people because walking is, while it's certainly not intense in terms of a workout, it's, it is one of the most natural things that we are meant to do. And it's you know very easy on your joints. And it's something that all of us can
1: find time to do no matter where we live. You make some mental health arguments as well. You want to talk about that? Because I found that to be really novel and also quite valid.
0: You know, it's just kind of funny. And again, I would talk about this more from a personal standpoint, but I'll tell you, I think there are so many of us who can relate to this. We just don't often think about it in a certain way. But if I have something that's just kind of clogging up the brain a little bit, there's nothing better for me than getting out and stretching my legs and walking around for a little bit just that act of getting out and walking around seems to get the juices flowing and help me clear my head. From another standpoint, there's just something really fantastic about living someplace where walking is enjoyable and beautiful and you really get to, you know, stop and smell the roses and experience life at a slower pace that has a tremendous calming effect, I think, on your mind. And for me personally, I know that that's something that I really enjoy about just getting out and walking and why I will walk somewhere that takes 15 minutes more readily if it's a beautiful walk than than get in the car and drive for 10 or 15 minutes.
1: If you've ever heard our curbside chat, one of the early versions of it, I would talk about my daughter and the neighbor girl across the street and how the two of them met at kindergarten and then found out they were neighbors. That doesn't happen in a walkable place or in a place where people are dedicated to walking, does it?
0: Not so much. (laughs) It's pretty hard to avoid, you know, knowing who your neighbors are. Now, one of the things that we can talk about is you actually have more choice in this respect. Again, you can certainly live in a walkable city and choose to be a hermit and choose to not engage with your neighbors if you don't want to. But obviously, it's going to be much easier to engage with people if you want to. And that's really the point I like to make, because there are a lot of people who who will say, well, you know, I don't want to know my neighbors or, you know, I'm not interested in all of that. And I say, well, there's plenty of ways that you can still, you can still live that way in a denser more compact community. But on the other hand, there are social connections that you can make that are far, far easier to make uh, when your neighbor is, you know, 20 feet away or, If you can see each other across the street, in my opinion, those have tremendous benefits for all of us as individuals and and for society at large.
1: Have you ever gotten ticketed for walking under the influence?
0: (laughs) Not that I can remember. Okay, Although I probably could have been a couple of times.
1: (laughs) It's amazing because, you know, when we look at automobile accidents in this country and the primary causes being distracted driving and, you know, driving under the influence – These are things that are much lower risk kind of things to engage in at two miles an hour.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. People used to really give me a hard time when I would would make this point that one of the benefits of walking a lot is you never have to worry about DUIs or drinking and driving. And I know there are a lot of people who kind of would brush that off or think I was being ridiculous. But I think it's really important. I do, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, look, let's be grown-ups. I think, you know, one of the phrases you use a lot is having grown-up conversations about things. Sure. Let's have a grown-up conversation about alcohol and drugs and realize that, you know, human beings enjoy mind-altering substances from time to time, whether it's alcohol or anything else. And that is unlikely to change. So how can we minimize the downside of some of those things? And one of the downsides that, that we have in this country is that we really have to drive to so many places and so we have this real problem with drinking and driving and awareness has helped a lot over the last 20 or 30 years but no amount of awareness can change the physical fact that you still need to get from point A to point B and if we can alter that reality so people can find other ways to get around walking, taking a cab, taking a cab where it doesn't cost you 75 bucks to get home, for example. Sure. If those things are more accessible to all of us, then it will have far more effect on drinking and driving than anything else.
1: You're not approaching this through rose-colored glasses. One of the things that makes this such a readable enjoyable book is the fact that you don't sit and preach at people. You don't cite statistics ad nauseum. You're really telling your own story from your own perspective, and it makes it very approachable. Towards the end of the book, you do come to grips with the reality that you've chosen to live in a place that is amenable to this, but a lot of Americans don't. There are a lot of challenges that people face. What what are some of those challenges that people face who, who would find this a great idea but would find it hard to put into practice in their own life
0: yeah you know and it's really worked well for me I think it could work well for a lot more people but but there are some difficulties and there's no question that for most people especially if you have a family that uh, things like you know, crime safety in schools are right at the top of the list as they should be I would never try to minimize the importance of that for a lot of people Unfortunately, we've had a problem in this country for many, many years with some of our historic cities and neighborhoods really having a lot of issues with with both of those factors. And so that's kept, that's kept, in my opinion, a lot of people away from walkable places who would probably be inclined to want them. So that's been a problem. But I think there are other things too that are realities that we just have to deal with that, you know, not everybody is able to walk to work or take transit to work. A lot of us do have to drive we have a scarcity of walkable places. And so you may want to live in in a neighborhood that's like this, but perhaps uh, in the city or region that you live in, there's so few of them that they've also become expensive and and you're priced out of it. And that's a reality. Then there are some really, you know, simple little things too, like, Hey, it can be noisier. You're going to have uh, obnoxious people you have to deal with. That's just part of the reality. And I, you know, I, Again, I just want to approach this from an honest standpoint and say, you know, this isn't all unicorns and rainbows. Every choice you make and has a lot of good consequences and bad consequences. In my opinion, living in a walkable place, the good far outweigh the bad. But it's also important for us to say, hey, some of these things are, are real and let's talk about them. and Let's see if we can make them better.
1: Do you see the dialogue in this country changing? Do you see more people asking for this kind of thing and public policy actually responding to that?
0: Oh, yeah, there's no question. No question at all. I mean, in just in my professional lifetime over the last 20 years, the interest in walkable places, the interest in things like biking, it's remarkable how much it's increased. Absolutely remarkable across all segments of society. I still think we're very much in the early years of this kind of reawakening and I think it's, I think it's really part of a deeper sort of cultural reawakening. There's no question it's, it's gotten far more popular and I think in the future for very many reasons we're going to see this continue on that path. I'm also of the opinion there are a lot of people who live a car oriented life who are very happy with it. And are going to stick with that for the rest of their life, assuming, you know, financially they're able to do so because that's what they enjoy. We'll have some fairly large percentage of people who live that way for for all of our lifetimes. But what I'm really encouraged by is just how many people are looking around and saying, you know, walking and biking, these things are actually really fun. You know, this is really a pretty great way to live. I want to figure out how to live this way all the time.
1: Not only did I just enjoy your writing and the way that you approach things, but from a very selfish standpoint, one of the things I really liked about this book were that you had all my friends in there, too. I mean, you you had these really nice excerpts from people that I admire and respect. I mean, you had Mike Lydon in there, you had Eliza Uh Harris in there, Kristen Jeffers was in there, Lee Sobel, and these people all had their own kind of little story to tell that augmented yours. How'd you pull that one off?
0: (laughs) You know, honestly, it's my favorite part of the book. Yeah. It was the favorite part of writing it. As I started going through this book, and I have a couple of people who I bounce ideas off routinely, and I started talking about it, and we thought, you know, this could be really interesting if other people were making a contribution as well. So this became a book that was really more than just about me, but an examination of why a lot of other people are making this particular choice. And I just feel like a lot of times we talk so much to each other in professional language, and we don't often talk to the public or to each other in personal language enough, you know, why this has been great for me. What's my story? And I think a lot of people are interested in those personal stories. And so I reached out to about a dozen people, and nearly all of them responded immediately that they they were happy to do it. And And I wanted to have a really nice kind of cross-section of, you know, people all all over the country, people in different stages of their life to show that this was not just a young person's thing. It's not just a white person's thing. You know, it's not just a single thing. And really that this cuts across all of humanity. And, boy, the stories are really great. There's some really entertaining. And I, I was just blown away by how well written each of those stories were.
1: By way of an endorsement, I read a ton of books. Very few do I share with my wife. My wife is a news reporter, very intelligent person, but she is not a policy wonk in the realm that we are. I got this book for my wife, and I'm going to give her a copy for her birthday coming up. I think she's really going to enjoy it. I think it's going to you know, be right in that spot where she enjoys reading. So,
0: well, that's, that's great. That's, uh, I mean, that's a fantastic thing to hear. And, and, you know, that's exactly where I was kind of hoping to get with this, that this is something that would be accessible to just about anybody.
1: A last couple things. I want to just acknowledge that you've had some life changes recently. Congratulations on, first of all, getting married. Well, and thank you very much. you've got a new job now, too. Do you want to talk about that just for a minute?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I was hired recently to be the executive director of an agency here, here in Savannah that's called the Savannah Development and Renewal Authority, it's something I'm really excited about. You know, I've been a planning and design consultant for about 20 years now and have really loved it and loved the opportunity of working with so many great people all over the country. This to me was something that I'd been thinking about for years, which was really how to have an opportunity to be more on the development and client side of the table so that I can go from simply designing and planning things to actually implementing. This authority is one that is really responsible for the development and redevelopment for uh, what we call greater downtown Savannah. And that includes the downtown itself, which is a very, very successful and thriving downtown and, and a very famous historic district. But beyond that, a lot of areas on the periphery of downtown that are not experiencing that same success. And so a lot of our work is going to be implementing principles and ideas that I've written about and thought about for many, many years and doing that for a much bigger geographic area than just just the core of the downtown.
1: I know you've had a lot on your plate and with the book coming out and all the all the life changes tell me you're gonna be back to blogging on a regular basis though I, I know you've taken a little bit of time off
0: <laughs> the last few weeks have been uh, <laughs> been an adjustment for me as I've been just sort of diving into the new job and, and getting getting my feet set on that uh, I do hope to get back to blogging and I will it will definitely be at a much reduced pace than what I have been uh, throughout the course of this year. But uh, I'd like to get to a place where I can do one really thoughtful piece a week and and contribute to, you know, what I think is a really interesting and exciting blogging world that's out there. It's, you know, Chuck, it's amazing. Your blog and everything came on the scene at such a, a really fascinating time. I mean, you talk about the interest in walking. Look at the explosion of sites that there are now just about urban design and,
1: right, totally. and planning. Yeah, Internet. yeah, yeah.
0: It's almost impossible to keep up with now. There are just so many.
1: Yeah. We actually created a member blog role and asked our members to send us the RSS feeds for their blogs so we could share them with people. And I was embarrassed the number of sites that I had never heard of. And as soon as they sent them to me, I started looking at it and go, wow, that, this is some good stuff. It's fantastic, the dialogue that's going on out there.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I think, to me, that's just indicative of how many people are interested in these ideas and the concepts. And I think what you've done, especially contributing on the transportation side and the financial side of all of that, is just something yeah, that's been missing for years and years, and it's, it's so important.
1: So. it's actually more therapy than it is anything else. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Maybe the next book needs to be why I write, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> it's more neurotic than anything else. So yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> well, Kevin, thanks so much. com is the website. I will post a link with this podcast. Is that the best place for people to go and, and get the book? Or is there a better place?
0: That's fine. They can also go to Amazon uh, yeah. and get it there. And uh, the ebook should be out, I think, August 11th.
1: Okay. Oh, so I've got an advanced ebook. You do? Oh, wow. I didn't know. Well, August 11th, then. Get your pre-order in now. Why I Walk, you're going to want to read it. You're going to want to uh, share it. You're going to want to give it to your wife or your husband.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: good. Thanks so much for Indeed, your
0: Indeed, all of those things. Yes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much for your time, Kevin.
0: Okay. Thanks, Chuck. I really appreciate it. All right.
1: Take care, everybody, and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. They know that America's one big pothole right now.
0: Chuck Moron, this has been
1: fascinating.
0: The United Nations Earth Summit agenda. 21, yeah. Morning,
1: Pee-wee. Little Francis. Today is my birthday, and my father said I can have anything I want. Good for you and your father. So guess what I want? A new brain. No, your bike. (laughs) Oh, What's so funny, Pee-wee? It's not for sale, Francis. My father says everything's negotiable. Pee-wee, I wouldn't sell my bike for all the money in the world. Not for a hundred billion, million, trillion dollars. Then you're crazy. I know you are,
0: but what am I?